Good morning. Good morning. We on? We good? All right, cool. Happy Independence Day. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be amongst God's people. Um, if you would, uh, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 20 through 30. Um, and I was thinking a lot about, uh, well, a lot of things this week. It's a lot of what I do is think. I feel like I spend all my time just in thoughts. There's like this imaginary world within my mind that exists that I wish was reality because everything would be much better all the time. But sadly, that's not the case. Anyway, uh, one thing I, I was thinking on this week, uh, a few weeks ago, Jake and I went to the uh, SBC in Nashville, and it was, it was really incredible for a lot of it. Some of it was not as great, but some of it was really good, especially that there was a conference right beforehand, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but there was a conference before the actual business meeting part started, and uh, we commissioned something like 68 missionaries to go out to the nation's which was really incredible. Like they brought them up on stage. They concealed some of their identities because they're going into really dangerous places. And one couple, they even, uh, like, they had someone else record what they were saying to the people, like, where they were going, but they couldn't say exactly where they were going. And they, I'm sure they used fake names uh, because where they're going is so dangerous. They're risking everything to go to these places. They're risking their lives, their, uh, their safety, their security, everything to go into these dangerous places, probably somewhere in the Middle East, but there's, there's places, there's a lot of places that are, that are that dangerous. But one thing I noticed is that we are, we're, we're Baptists in a big tent. We have a huge tent full of, uh, and it's something I'm grateful for, because I could look at some people here today and say, there are some, some uh, doctrinal convictions that I might have that someone else may think a different way. And I'm grateful for that, that we could, we could disagree on small things but say, we're brothers in Christ, so we're going to be hugging in heaven one day. And that's, that's such a great thing that we have, and particularly in the Baptist churches. But, and that exists anywhere else. But I think by, by nature, the Southern Baptist Church is, is that. It embodies that. And um, I'm grateful for that. So if, if we disagree on something theologically, don't think of me as trying to pound you in the head with it. Because that's not my goal. That's not my intent ever. I'm not saying no one's accusing me of doing this. This is just something I thought about this week and wanted to share with you this morning. Now, however, today might be a little bit heavy. This passage uh, that I, I feel like the Lord is leading me to, I was, I was really, in the second half, I was like, man, this is so good. It's so encouraging. Uh, the thing is, when you get good news, there's always bad news to distinguish it from the good news. And so the first half, which I felt like I couldn't leave out, uh, is, is the bad news for some, but is good news uh, for everyone because of who God is. So that's, that's, um, that's what I want to put before you today. And that's the burden for preachers. That's, that's really the burden is we would love to sit up here and say, everything's good. Everything's fine. Your life is easy. Smile and you'll see Jesus one day. But if any one of you have ever like, lived a day in your life, you know that's not the case. You know that's not the case. Life is hard. Life is hard. Sometimes it might be easy. You might have seasons of, of ease. But you're going to have seasons of hard. And sometimes the seasons where it's hard uh, are louder than the easy ones. And sometimes they're even longer than the easy ones. 
But we're confronted with things in the text. We're confronted with hard things in the text, and we have to address them. If we want to be faithful, Bible-believing people, we have to address the hard things in the text. And then what we can't do is implant our own um, thoughts, our own inclinations into the text. But we need to look at this text and bring out what we think about something. And that's another challenge, too, because you might be a little, uh, you might be a little proud in what you think, which I know that I can be. And I'm confronted with things in the Bible, and I, I say, all right, well, where do I need to change? Because Scripture certainly doesn't change. Amen. Okay. So this, uh, this passage is a bit like the book of Romans. If you've ever read the first chapter of Romans, and you stop there, you're going to be thinking, what is happening? Why does God hate me so much? But if you read, like, the rest of it, it's fine. It's fine. You realize, oh, wow, God does love me in spite of myself. And that's good news. That is good news. So, um, so this passage has that. Um, let's, let's read. If you would stand and, and read with me. Verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred... And Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in, that, in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted into heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the, day, for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At the same time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this invitation. That Jesus gave us to come to him. Because God we are weary and we are heavy laden. We do need rest in you. Father we know you're good. Your word reveals that you are good. In fact we wouldn't know goodness apart from you. So Father I pray that, that through your word you would bring dead people to life today. Father, I pray for this church that it would be a beacon of, of light to your people, to the nations, and to the people right here. Father, that we would, we would not sit and be passive. God, that we, would, that we would stand and be active. That we would seek you and we would seek for people to know you. Father, I pray for our pastor 
and all the staff here and our, our leaders, our volunteer leaders, God, everyone here, that they would, they would seek to serve you. God, you would protect them from the evil one. And you would give us a clear vision and a clear message for your people. Father, we love you and thanks in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Much the joy, I'm sure. So something I, I get from this immediately is the exclusivity of Christ. That Christ is exclusive. That Christ is the only way to the Father. There's this ideal that's, uh, that's common today, and it's called postmodernism. And I'm not going to give you a whole lecture on postmodernism because it's kind of boring, I'm going to be honest. But postmodernism, at, at the core of, of some of it at least, uh, is the, the ideal... That all truth is relative. That, that your truth might be different from your truth, but they're both true even if they clash. Because it's true for you. If it's true for you, something else can be true for me. And that doesn't make sense. To say that all truth is relative is a truth claim. Truth must be true for truth to be relative. It, it defeats itself is the point I'm getting at. It defeats itself. But Christ is exclusive. Christ is the only way. If you spend any time around a, a college campus talking to college kids, they'll, they'll say these things. You'll, you'll hear a lot of it. Not everyone, of course. You'll hear these things, that, that truth is relative. And that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. But Christ is exclusive. He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to the Father. So he says... So the main point I want to put before you today is, is God is just and his invitation is free and sweet, but it does require something of us. His invitation is free, but it requires much from us. Okay, in verse 20, um, then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So Jesus has, has been going all around this area. He had been um, raising people from death to life, literally, like dead people were walking again. Pretty crazy, pretty big deal. Or uh, he was healing people of sicknesses like leprosy and other diseases. He was doing all these things in front of people. Many crowds were around them. They saw these things happen. But what did they do? They repented. No, they didn't repent. They did not repent. They saw it happen. They saw Jesus in action. They saw him actually uh, cleaning a person's skin. If you've ever seen like a picture of, of what leprosy looked like, it is super gross. It is really nasty looking. It's flaky skin and, and it's, it's not going to get too much into it. It's really nasty. But people could see the skin heal when people heal people of leprosy. They saw this miraculous thing happen, and they did not repent. Because Jesus' miracles are meant to lead people to repentance. They saw it happen. They saw it happen. He invited these people to himself by doing miracles, but they rejected him. They hated him, as every non-Christian does. Did you know that? Did you know that every non-Christian is naturally at enemies with God? 
That every non-Christian is naturally a God-hater. There is no neutrality in this kingdom. There is no neutrality in the kingdom of heaven, in God's kingdom. Everyone is either a God-lover or a God-hater. Because this is the default position of people, that we have hard hearts. We are born into sin, we're conceived in sin, and... We are born into sin, and that's the curse of Adam. That is, that is something that we inherit at birth, even before birth. But the point of Jesus doing these great things is to bring people to repentance. But they didn't. They saw it happen, and they still had no faith. Now tell me, have you ever heard someone say, if I could just see Jesus, I would believe If I could just see Jesus, if he would just reveal himself to me right now in person, if he would do this thing, whatever this thing is, I would believe. These people saw it. These people saw him do great things. They saw him do miracles. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him heal people. They still didn't repent. So for for a person... To say that if I could just see Jesus, I would repent. If I could just see Jesus, I'd believe in him. I would say, no, you wouldn't. No, you would not. Apart from a miraculous change of heart that only happens through Jesus, you would not. And there's great danger in rejection and the rejection of Christ and his goodness. God is gracious and, is, and he is merciful, but he is also just. He is also just. If he, was, if he was not just, he would not be good. And if he was not good, he would not be just. But he is justice. We wouldn't know justice and goodness apart from Christ, apart from God. So if you're a, a, uh, if a, note, if you're a note taker, write down Psalm, set, Psalm 78. If you just want to look back to it later. I don't have time to get too much into it. I would love to. But the, the psalmist here shows the human condition it shows that the Israelites, when they, when they were brought out of, of Egypt through a miraculous parting of the sea, and then God crushed their enemies, and then brought into the desert for 40 years, a really long time. They were brought through the desert, and along the way, they were hitting rocks and getting water from it, and God was raining down manna from heaven, the food of angels, Psalm 78 says. And I don't know if you know this about the Israelites, but they were, uh, they were what we would call back home as, as hard-headed. They were hard-headed. They, were, uh, they would see God do these things. They would, they would get the, the benefit of God being on their side. And they still doubted every single step of the way. So what would God do? God would cast judgment on, on them. He would... Psalm 78 says he began to kill them, and then they repented. But then they did the stuff again. They ran right back to it. But God delivered them again and again and again. Not because they deserved it, because they surely did not, nor do we. But because, because God is gracious to his people. God is eternally gracious to his people. No matter how hard-headed, stiff-necked you might be, 
If you are of God, he is gracious to you and has shown grace to you. Verses 21 and 22 are the first two of the three judgments, judgments that uh, Jesus casts on these cities, uh, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and, uh, and Capernaum. He saw, these people saw these things and they rejected. And he says that if, if Tyre and Sidon had seen the things that you, Chorazin, and you, uh, Bethsaida, had seen, they would have repented. But they didn't. They would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. There's this deep sorrow when you realize how guilty you stand before a holy God. Because what we have to know is is a judgment day is coming. There There is a day of judgment that is coming. And it seems, it seems to suggest here, quite loudly, that, uh, that some people will receive worse judgments than others, right? What does it say? For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. That at the day of judgment... It will be more tolerable for some places than it is for others. Something that I haven't heard uh, spoken about very much is, is this, this th- what Jesus is, is suggesting is this, uh, this kind of relative judgment. That some people's judgment will be worse than others. But if you think about it, that makes sense. It makes sense if, uh, if someone had seen Jesus doing things and they rejected him, that they would be maybe more guilty than the person who lived on an island in the middle of nowhere and never heard the name of Jesus. They're still not a Christian. They're still not a believer. But for the person who rejects Christ, the person who hears the gospel, who hears the good news, and still stays at enemies with God, will seemingly have a worse Judgment. That's what Jesus is quite loudly suggesting. 23 and 24. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. What, had, what happened in Sodom? God destroyed Sodom with fire and brimstone. Super Old Testament. Go back and read it. God destroyed it with Sodom or with uh, with fire and brimstone. Same thing here. No one is righteous. No one was righteous in Sodom, so God destroyed it. Why didn't they repent? Why wouldn't they repent if they saw Jesus doing these things? The people in Capernaum and Chorazin and. Uh, Bethsaida. Why wouldn't they? Verses 25 and 26, I think, begin to answer that. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this this way was well-pleasing in your sight. I think God is is answering, or Jesus is answering this. Jesus is God, so it's cool. Um, 
God hides from the proud. I want you to hear that today, that God hides from the proud. The gospel is offensive. Naturally, it is. It is, it is offensive to the natural mind. It is offensive to the human heart because of what it implies. It implies that you are dead in your sin and trespasses. It implies that alone you cannot be good enough to please God. I don't think it really implies that. I think it screams that. That in your natural state, you cannot please God. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be rich enough. You cannot uh, uh, politic your way hard enough. You can't uh, sing in the choir enough. I don't know, just something random. You can't do youth ministry good enough to make yourself be pleasing to the Lord. Because our sin is so deep. Our sin is so total that it completely corrupts us. The gospel is offensive. And that might, that might even sting your conscience a little bit, me saying that. It does mine too, so don't worry. It does mine too. But it tells you that you are not in yourself good enough. And there's this, there's this huge self-love movement going on. And I'm not saying you should hate yourself. You should not hate yourself. That is, that is not a good thing. But there's this, this movement going on, and I mostly see it on social media, uh, of, of people who, and they might have some, some disorders, and, and, that's, uh, and that's fine. Uh, but they, they look at themselves and they say, all right, no, I am good. I am, I am good. I am worthy. You're worthy because God makes you worthy. You are good because God makes you good. But when we, when we put these, these, these uh, labels on ourselves with these restrictions on ourselves, what it actually does is it harms us worse. It harms us worse because then we have standards that we feel like we need to live up to that we've placed on ourselves that we could not possibly meet. The gospel is a slap in the face of the self-love movement that is going on. And what that really is is it reveals idolatry. It reveals the idolatry of self, which I think we've all at some point been guilty of. But God hides from the proud. God hides from the proud and reveals himself to the infants, to the lowly ones. Think of the, think of the people, you could even just use scripture. Think of the people that God has used throughout history, throughout scripture, to accomplish his means. Uneducated, unremarkable, sinful, outcast people. Who did he seemingly, who did Jesus seemingly fight with the most when he was doing his ministry? Was it the common person? It was the religious. It was the scribes and the Pharisees. The proud. The proud, the arrogant, the religious. These people were wise in their own sight. And therefore they received the reward that they looked for. The reward they looked for was the approval of men. So they could say, wow, you're super holy. You're super righteous. I could never be that. They were looking for the approval of men and they got it. But that was the extent of the reward that they were given. A question, do we ever do that? 
Do we ever try to put on a, a nice face? Maybe before we go to church or, or anything like that. Do we think of ourselves as more highly than we should? This is what God does. He takes the infants, the weak. He takes them and he hides from the proud and the wise. And that's the dramatic irony here is that the wise, listen here, are actually the foolish ones. They're the ones who don't know. In their mind, they know everything. Or they know most things. But they actually don't know. I think we see that a lot today in, in uh, modern academia or even our government. These people have set themselves up as God to themselves, as a God to their own selves. But what's happening is they are delivering themselves over to Satan because they have rejected the one true king. The people who are seeking power the people who are seeking wealth or status. And that's their goal, right? That's what they want. They're wise to themselves. They're they are gods of their own selves. People struggle with this. People struggle with this wrath that God has. But we see the goodness of God, but we also have to see the wrath of God. The God is the same God in the New Testament that he is in the Old Testament. He has not changed. People will say, wow, that Old Testament God, he was, whew, that's a fire behind him. He still does. He still does. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow. But what people struggle with is that God is actually glorified in his wrath and in his justice. He is good. He is just. And everything he does glorifies him. And that includes pouring out his wrath and his justice. Where else do we see uh, what God desires or who God desires? I think First uh, Corinthians uh, 26 mentions that a little bit. We'll see. Uh, 26 through uh, 29. For considering your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. God has chosen the weak to shame the strong. He's chosen the uneducated, the foolish maybe, to shame the wise. God calls the simple, the, the lowly, the humble. That's who God calls. What about Matthew uh, 18? Just a few chapters after us. 18, 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They really set themselves up here. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. It's another relative judgment thing here as well. But his children will hear him. His children will hear him. The people who humble themselves like children, the people who, who bring themselves low will hear him. Tony, good choice of music this morning because it really fits with my message. So, good job. His children will hear him. If you are his child today, you will hear the Lord. Verse 27. All the things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son reveals to him. We're getting major uh, Great Commission vibes here. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me. And in the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus is seeking out his people, and he wasn't a failure. He's not a failure then. He wasn't a failure then, and he's not one now. He calls people from death and into life, and when he does that, he succeeds. It works. His word does not come back void. When we preach the word... When we preach the word, his people will hear it, and it does not return void. We have this, we have this great confidence that any time we preach, any time we faithfully open God's word and faithfully divide it, that God's people will hear it. We, we have this assurance that we have 100% success when we try to tell people about the good news. Because either his people will hear it, or the people who are not his people will not. The person who he sets free is free indeed. We're no longer a slave to sin, but we're free in him, the one who frees you. He's been here once. He's been here once to reveal himself, but he's coming back. He's coming back, and that's the faith that we have, that he's coming back for his bride, for his church. So he, next time he comes, he will be taking the church back with him. But when he calls someone from death to life, he accomplishes, accomplishes it. His people will hear his voice. They will have communion with him, but many have and many will reject him. When they hear the call to repent and believe, inaction is action. Inaction, not doing anything, is an action. Not doing anything is a choice to not do anything. By not responding to him, you are rejecting him. And in doing so, drinking judgment upon yourself. It happened in Chorazin, it happened in Bethsaida, it happened in Capernaum, and it happens now. That when the gospel is proclaimed before you, when the gospel is put before you, and you reject it, God's judgment waits. But Christian, take heart. And this is what I mean by, by this is kind of heavy today. Take heart. Because the Father has given a people to the Son, as John chapter 6 says. If you have been redeemed, then that is you. You are that people. You are within that group. You are within the bride of Christ, the church, capital C, church. You are that family. You are adopted as sons, as co-heirs with Christ Jesus forever and ever. Don't watch on that page. Verse 28 through 30. 
We got the bad news already. Now here's the good news. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wastes no time. He calls people to himself here. He's reaching his people. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus chooses to whom he reveals himself. And here he has given the invitation to his listeners. But it's an invitation to the readers as well. It's an invitation to you as well that Jesus is calling you. Come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What do these things mean? When Jesus says his burden is light, he's really taking a shot at the, the scribes and the Pharisees. It's one thing they sought to do. I believe it's Matthew 18 uh, or 23. One of those. Uh, the, the, the Pharisees were really good at not just enforcing the law, but really using the law and placing it as a, as a crutch on people or as a, to crush them. They, they would try to hold people down with the law but not do anything to help them. And that's the accusation that Jesus gives. They're trying to hurt people with the law and won't do anything to help them. It says, and they won't move a finger for them. That's what it says. They like to enforce the law but other things as well in an effort to burden people. And the good things, the good things of the Christian faith can be a burden if you let it be. If, if you say, I want to spend time in the word, but then you also say, but I need to read like 10 chapters a day. Or I need to read an entire book of the Bible per day. That will quickly become a burden. It will feel like a chore. Especially like if, you, if you're in Bible college and it's like, all right, the Bible is suddenly my textbook now. It's like, it's kind of a burden at that point. But when I read it because I want to, it's not a burden. It's a joy. And it's for your joy to read your Bible. It's just like this plan we've been going through that I'm, that I'm, I'm preaching out of right now. That, that it's not meant to be a burden on you, but it's, meant, it's for your joy. It's for your joy. But the Pharisees wanted to over-encumber people and do nothing to help them. But the yoke that Jesus gives is different. It's a light one. It's an easy one. And what was the yoke for? If you have a, an older, more mature, trained ox. Because this isn't an egg yoke, right? There's no L. It's, a, it's yoke with, a, with just K and E. Um, you have an older one and then you have a younger one. You're trying to train the younger one how to plow the field. So you yoke them together. You yoke them together and then they, they learn. And what Jesus is saying is, take my yoke, yoke yourself to me, and then learn from me. Learn from me. And it's easy. It's a light burden. His yoke is easy and the burden is light. It's light because he's done all the heavy lifting for you. He's done it all. He has overcome the world. He has taken your shame, your hopelessness, your sin, your guilt. He, is taking, he has taken it all upon himself on the cross. And God poured out his wrath on Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that, that uh, God was pleased to crush him. 
God was pleased to enact justice because he is good. And Jesus took all that upon himself for you. His yoke is one where he has already done the work for you. The hard work is done. You get to trust him to carry you because you couldn't carry yourself if you tried. I couldn't, and I've tried. So are you burdened and heavy laden? Find rest in Christ because he gives it, gives it freely. So, what do we do with all this? One, let's realize that God is just. This isn't bad, but it is bad news for many people that God is just because many people will see the justice of God. The gift of Christ is, is him taking the justice that we deserved, but he didn't do that necessarily for, for everyone who, the people who don't believe don't get the benefit of the cross, right? The people who don't believe, the people who die apart from God don't get the benefits of the cross. But it is good that God is perfectly just because he couldn't be good without being just. So God is just. We also have to remember the invitation is free and it's sweet. He's given us a way. He's given us a way because, because the sin in our lives held him on the cross. He took the whole world's sin upon himself. In your place, he died. And what he says is, is if we would repent and believe, then we would be saved. And that God is, is good and he is merciful to save, to forgive. Because that's what it's for. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And I don't, know, I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where your soul is. That's between you and the Lord. But if you haven't believed that, would you today? If you haven't believed that Christ died, he took upon your sin on the cross. He died in your place, a death that you deserved that I deserved, that we all deserved. He did that willingly and freely. And he offers us this free gift of salvation, and now we get to spend eternity with him. So what can you do? A couple things. One, you can store up treasures for yourself in heaven. There's this idea here that, that some people will have a worse judgment than other people. But you've heard through the New Testament that some people that, that we store for ourselves treasures in heaven. So it's this idea that some people will be able to, to enjoy the Lord more in heaven based on how they live. Their salvation is not based on how they live, but their satisfaction in Christ is more based on how they live, based on how you live. So store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Mortify your sin. Kill it. Kill your sin. Take it to the cross. Die to yourself daily. That's the call of Christ. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Also, have an active faith. Let your faith be more than just me sitting in a church pew on Sunday morning. 
Let it be more than that. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The nations are here. The nations are right here in our backyard. We've got this Vietnamese church plant going on. That's awesome. And that's us taking the gospel to the nations. Five-something thousand Vietnamese people without a church in their language in the Columbia area. Not for long. So get out there and find God's people because really, gone are the days where if you build it, they will come. I so wish that it was that way now. You think 100 years ago, 200 years ago, uh, people would build a church and then people would come to it. But how many distractions do we have now that we didn't have then? I get the, the notification on my, on my phone every week. You spent this many hours per day on your phone. It's like, I need to throw this thing away. <laughs> but God are the days where if you build it, they will come. There's this idea of we're for the kingdom. For the capital K kingdom, God's kingdom. But so much more often we get caught up on our kingdom. Maybe our kingdom, lowercase k, is Blaney Baptist Church. That we say, well, we need to do all these things here at Blaney. And yeah, we should. We should do a lot of things at Blaney. But we can't just expect people to just show up anytime we do something at Blaney. We have to go get them. We have to go bring them in. Maybe drag them by their shirt collar. I don't know. There's something expected of us to do here. But have an active faith, because God calls you to do that anyway. Even if it was a build it and they will come type of place, you still have a responsibility to go to the people. So, last thing you can do is pray. Just pray. Pray for your nation, pray for your church, pray for your pastor, pray for your deacons. Pray for your family. Pray for everyone. Pray for the missionaries that are overseas and and local, stateside. Pray for them. God moves. God acts in prayer. So, maybe today you're here and, and indifferent to the gospel of grace. Please don't be. Maybe you're a lifelong Christian today and you've You've, uh, you've always been under the authority of Scripture. And that's good. And praise God for that. But maybe you've grown into complacency as well. God calls us to get busy. Go get motivated. Go do something. Do something for the kingdom. Doesn't matter how good you are at it. Clearly. God calls us all to act. All to do something. We have no excuse not to. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is living and active, and that it's profitable for teaching and for reproof. And God, that through it, you build your church and you build your people. Father, I pray that we would all just repent of sin today that we would all look to you today and going forward. That we would know that you are good, God, because you have said you are good. And God, you don't lie. 
Father, be with us this morning. Be with us this week. Build your church. We love you. Thanks in your name. Amen.